1: Hello, and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 94, and it is the fourth annual Halloween Spooktacular. And I'm joined today, once again, by one of the hosts of Shake Them Ropes, also part of the VOW podcast network, it's Chris Novembrino. Hello,
0: Chris. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for having me back on Music of the Mat. I'm excited to be here. I always love talking about music, and I like talking about wrestling. And your show does both of them.
1: That it does. Yes, it's very, uh, very handy for you. Then. Yeah. yeah no, so... it
0: works out for me. This is this is a good arrangement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always great having you on. You know, you know your music and
0: and the way that music works too. So uh... I brought the Casio keyboard this time, since you know, oh I, yeah. Oh, I didn't have it, so we're we're going to bust out the Casio here in a bit, like, for non sound effecty purposes.
1: <laughs> we're in business now, baby. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, um, the last time you were on the show here, Chris, was uh, about a year ago, I think. Uh, we did the WCW Grab Bag episode. A lot of fun that was. And um, I seem to remember since then, I think back in February of this year, that you announced that you were going to leave Shake Their Ropes after WrestleMania, and... Uh, then the pandemic happened, and uh, you didn't leave. You're still there. So, uh, you know, in, in the words of Godfather 3, just when you thought you were out, they pulled you back in.
0: <laughs> yeah, all right. So, I, I mean, I this is as good of an opportunity to talk about that as any, or like what sort of informed my decision of staying doing wrestling stuff and what prompted it initially. Is, I mean, look, WWE's product, I, I make no secret about it on the show, although some people seem to think I stand WWE, It's a weird take. Um, Their product is not good. It's boring. Uh, And it was particularly boring coming out of 2019. Like, I I know there's a lot of talk this year about how 2020 is all-time bad, but I I think that is really unfair to how bad 2019's WWE product was. And uh, it was frustrating. And and I think that the coronavirus and COVID-19 has presented an interesting opportunity for wrestling companies to have to adapt to a discreet news event. And that has had enough intrigue to keep me interested in covering wrestling, even when the on-screen product, especially during the COVID-19 era, has not necessarily been uh, the best wrestling I've ever seen in my (laughs) life, Andrew. (laughs) Uh, yes, at least here in America, over in Japan, they've, they've had a number of very good shows, but I, I, you know, I cover the ongoings of WWE and AEW. And I, I think I was maybe initially more hopeful that the pandemic would offer a creative opportunity for both of these companies to try new things. And, And granted, um, I mean, we did get the greatest wrestling match ever, in wwe that was certainly a a, a new thing i am the greatest was capitalized you you, you know what i'm talking about the of course yes. yeah, yeah of course yeah. but yeah well, who could forget who could forget i mean it's what would come to your mind even if i was talking about it colloquially absolutely uh, but yeah yeah so it's given some interesting experimental opportunities but uh it's it's certainly it's hit or miss But it keeps me interested on a week-to-week basis. I mean, my other interest is politics, and it's not like politics is a constant good news story either. (laughs) Well,
1: I'm glad you stayed because, you know, I I enjoy the show so much, and I love your rapport with Jeff, um, especially when you annoy him with your keyboard and your sound effects and um, that KISS song title thing you did a few weeks back. So, you know, God bless Jeff for putting up with your
0: your annoying habits there, Chris. (laughs) I feel like it's gotten more fun now that I've I've embraced my second life. I feel like uh, I'm like someone who's gone through a divorce and feels really liberated after it, only (laughs) I'm still in the marriage. It's all new to me. Well, today, Chris,
1: we are recording on Monday, October 19th. Uh, So Halloween, a little less than two weeks away, I figured what better time to do the 2020 Halloween Spooktacular, where we typically play... You know, themes that are rather spooky and creepy in nature, or belong to wrestlers that are spooky and creepy and scary, and maybe a bit supernatural as well. Uh, This year, I decided to change things up a little bit, where we'll still have some scary wrestlers, of course, but we'll also have wrestlers that fit the Halloween spirit of, you know, dressing up in some sort of costume. And we'll get to those in due course. But before we do any of that, Chris, let me ask you this. Do you still
0: enjoy Halloween? Do you still enjoy the holiday as an adult? Uh, I don't enjoy it like it's not my jam, uh, but I enjoy happy children like it's like my favorite part about teaching music. I love working with kids between the ages of 10 and 18 who are just starting to learn music and really excited about discovering new stuff. And, I, you know, I I enjoy watching young minds get to have a really good time. But uh, like as far as dressing up and stuff, I mean. I've you know a few Lucha Libre masks because I like Lucha Libre masks and I'll pop them on. But it's also, as I always joke, it's just the easiest Halloween costume. I just put on my Dr. Wagner Jr. mask and I'm <laughs> off to the races. Yeah, that's pretty easy. I think
1: pretty easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, this year Halloween, it's it's going to be a bit different, given all that's been going on in the world. But what's um, your
0: what was your last Halloween costume?
1: Oh, geez. Um,
0: think back. You know. Think back.
1: Yeah, because because my my last time i really dressed up for halloween was like as an early teenager uh hmm i think it was either darth vader or no it was aragorn it was aragorn from lord of the rings that was it
0: yeah my last halloween costume proper was sometime in my mid-20s and i dressed up like a combination of Groucho Marx and Karl Marx, and I was a Marxist critique for Halloween. <laughs> Very clever, sir.
1: Very clever. Yeah. Um, I once seized the means of production in my pajamas. How it got in there, I'll never know.
0: <laughs> I've always loved uh, Groucho Marx's uh, line on politics: being the art of looking around for problems, finding them everywhere, misdiagnosing them, and applying the wrong apl- or, pro- or solutions good one i botched it but it's a good one
1: <laughs> well, I, well i don't know what it's like in your city um but uh, here in, in boston uh they never the mayor...
0: been pl- more pleasant <laughs>
1: <laughs> true true yeah um but the mayor here in boston he says that he's against canceling trick-or-treating because he thinks that it will just encourage people to just you know stay indoors and gather in big parties instead which you know, I think they're doing that anyways now, but, um, but I-, I can see where he's coming from, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be doing trick or treat or anything, but I was kind of like thinking about how do I do this in a way that's safe if I was going to do it for every kid who came to my door. And I think I basically just have to be, uh, they'd knock on the door and I would give them candy out the window or something like that. Um, you know, just do, you know, one bar at a time uh, or, you know, one piece of candy at a time sort of thing. Mm.
1: Well, the thing that tickles me when I think about it is, you know, the people that leave the bowl on the stoop with the just take one sign and don't answer the door. Like oh, yeah, those I, I, pe-
0: especially with their dopes and they do Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, something that like everyone's going to be just like, oh, cool, full uh, pillow sack of uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Thank you, the neighbor. Well, well, listen,
1: listen, the people who do that look very smart right about now because they were doing a socially distanced Halloween before any of us were, so... <laughs>
0: Hey, I was fine with it. It was just a bad candy distribution system.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Well, speaking of Halloween and speaking of wrestling, um, do you remember like ever being scared of something in wrestling? Not in terms of like a scary botch, uh, but in terms of like, you know, in kayfabe or a character, did anything ever scare you as a kid watching wrestling?
0: I was young enough that the Brian Pillman's got a gun angle like legitimately confused me and I didn't know like what the deal with Brian Pillman was and like why that was happening on wrestling television. Like I was confused by that. I remember I used to think Kane was kind of spooky. Um, when I was younger, I'm trying to think of other people who like legitimately were scary to me. Uh, how about you? Well, you mentioned Kane.
1: Um, I have brought up on this podcast before that when I first started watching wrestling in 03 and 04, Kane was one of those guys who really freaked me out a lot because he kept doing like heinous shit to people that I liked you know he he buried Undertaker alive he set Jim Ross on fire he crushed Shawn Michaels throat with a chair that one time so yeah Kane freaked me out a lot as a kid but as I got older of course I started being less afraid of stuff in wrestling and more interested in like you know great matches and so forth which I think is true for a lot of people there Chris.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think fear in terms of like horror level stuff is something that wrestling has always struggled with when it when it tries to do horror movie stuff. I mean, it, granted, it leads to some of the best camp in professional wrestling. You know, like White Castle of Fear or Tony Schiavone's uh, House on the Halloween Havoc. Episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you get some really good stuff, but none of it's truly scary. And it's always just a little bit jarring because we do like a creepy, spooky angle. And then we have to return back to our main event with Ric Flair versus Kevin Sullivan or something like that. Something that is utterly not spooky. And so you're never able to really sell the departure to the other world scary place. And then when you come back, it's like, what? how does this make sense? I, I think about that a lot with The Fiend. Right now um, I wonder how does that land with young kids do they love this stuff uh, if they are a young wrestling fan like I was back when you know what we were talking about a few minutes ago here do they love this or do they find the pivot back into Roman Reigns and Jay Uso to be weird like <laughs> and have a hard time reconciling the fiend with the main event angle
1: yeah it can be pretty tricky I think because you know a horror movie is just a horror movie in its own contained thing. But wrestling is just a variety pack of many things. You know, there's horror, there's action, there's comedy, there's drama and romance. All different stuff just ping-ponging around with each other. So, yeah, for a young kid, it might be hard to really wrap your head around that kind of stuff.
0: What WWF slash WWE did pretty well was create a thing that I used to talk about with a friend as Undertaker Island. Where... Like, when you were in a storyline with Undertaker, it was like its own isolated thing. And they did a very good job just making it feel self-contained. You know who else kind of freaked me out when I was younger? Uh, Mankind. I, I thought Mankind was like the original man, not not obviously once he became like, you know, wacky Zany McFoley, whoever wanted to hug. But like original crazy and cool Mankind who came out with the really scary music and then would win and then the pretty music would play. And it was even more screwed up because he's so weird.
1: Yeah. The Laura Palmer theme. Right. Yes, right.
0: <laughs> that that was awesome. Like, like that. That freaked me out. Uh, and I, I always thought that that was pretty cool.
1: Right, right. Well, let's get to these themes here. Uh, We have five to talk about, starting with the WWF and Jake the Snake Roberts. This was when Jake turned heel in 91 and started feuding with Randy Savage and mentoring The Undertaker. And he had a new catchphrase, too, called Trust Me, which inspired his new theme song that only lasted until Jake left the WWF after The Undertaker match at Mania 8, so not very long. This is Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 2. This is Trust Me.
0: Trust me. 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 me.
1: So this is basically the heel version of Jake's more famous theme, Snake Bit. You know, same high-pitched background keyboards with the... uh, Very mood-setting, very similar backing melody, but it's slower. It's got Jake's trust-me vocals, uh, the robotic main keyboard... And the simple yet foreboding percussion... Boom. It's so much more ominous and sinister, as if like he's stalking his prey. So it's a very effective theme, and how it touches on the original song, but it twists it in a more, I guess, blatantly evil way, Chris.
0: Yeah, so this is awesome. And when you said '91, I'm like looking on the lead sheet here that this was rolled out in '91. This is so much better than a lot of the compositions that Jim Johnston was doing. I've always thought that. Jake's fanfare, shall we call it, uh, is one of the cooler wrestling themes. Uh, The synths and stuff are just so cool. The the icy quality of it speaks to the snake's cold-blooded nature, so it's always been this really natural pairing. And then the other thing that I think Johnston locked in on that works really good in this alternate version is the pulsating low synth line. Um, that kind of has that snake-like quality. Uh, another thing that's neat, uh, to your point, that makes this more heelish, more methodical, slows the whole thing down is you just absent the snare hits on the two and the four. I mean, most rock songs, you've got the kick on the snare. Think AC-DC. One, two, three, four. And dropping that, like, snare, no snare in there and just having a kick in hats just creates this constant build. We get up to the 45-second or 50-second mark where we've now cycled through all of Jake the Snake's chords. And you're right. Those are the chords from the original Jake the Snake motif. They're just stretched out double time. And he's changed some of the voicings on some things. But, like, there's it's such a cool song. Um, I, I, I love Jake the Snake's theme. And this is a really neat arrangement of it.
1: Yeah, and it only makes sense then that, you know, Jake's quote-unquote heel theme isn't necessarily the big crazy guitars and the percussion and it's all wild and crazy like a lot of heel themes can be it's still very subdued which you know that's jake roberts lead guitar
0: is hot A, a reptile is cold man synthesizers especially synthesizers from the 80s like the yamaha uh the noted yamaha that's used on like a lot of 80s pop songs that had a reputation for being icy it's just the perfect pairing for a reptile guy
1: Yeah, he was never the screamer, never the wild man like Bruiser Brody or whomever. He's calculated. He's cerebral. He talks in that calm, deep, yet sinister tone of voice. That's him. So, you know, a more subdued heel theme is just perfect for him because it matches his tone of character so well.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's cool. Um, it, it, it's just one of the best themes that Jim Johnston wrote in his entire tenure. It, not not this. This is a really cool arrangement of it, but just like his theme, period. is just one of the best things that Johnston ever wrote.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the music from the first Terminator movie where, not the main theme, but the scenes where the Terminator is in the police car and he's chasing Sarah and Kyle in their car. Like that kind of music, the. Which, again, you know. Yeah, again, again. Jake as this cold, unforgiving figure, like the Terminator, it all works so well for him, you know?
0: I mean, think about how much cooler this theme is compared to a modern theme that is very similar to this Dexter Loomis. Dexter Loomis just feels like it kind of struggles to be a Stranger Things sort of knockoff. It doesn't really have any. Hook to it, um, and what's interesting about John's or uh, what's interesting about Jake's theme is the hook—the thing that we like kind of think about—is not actually a melody. It is literally it's just the feel of those chord changes. It goes from D to B minor to E minor, and that just has a real neat icy feel to it. And that almost kind of like Survivor's Eye of the Tiger or Edge of Seventeen, something like that. But it, that rhythm. Those chords and stuff, it's so strong that it resonates with us even absent a uh, standard, you know, doe, a deer, a female deer sort of melody.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, Jake is in AEW with Lance Archer and it's great to see him be, you know, so healthy and have his life back on track. Um, his voice is in a bit rough shape nowadays, though. <laughs> Talking like this, and he's 30 lozenges just to get through a promo. But, you, know. <laughs> you
0: can't smoke as many cigarettes as Jake Roberts did for decades and expect your voice to warm no. up like that.
1: No, but. no. But, but here's the thing. It's Jake Roberts. Like, the fact that this guy is even alive today is a miracle, pretty much, because this guy went through the ringer multiple times over. So... The fact that he's still kicking and is, you know, looking pretty good, all things considered, uh, should be a big enough reason to, you know, celebrate.
0: Yeah, no, DDP Yoga really reinvigorated that guy. I remember when Paige showed up and it, what the state that Jake Roberts is in. I, I mean, I, I, I got to be honest, growing up and watching Jake's decline in the late 90s, I earnestly thought that he wouldn't be with us by 2010 let alone 2020 uh so yeah no it, it's a great thing that jake is still here and active in wrestling even if his week-to-week work on aew is also <laughs> something to be desired a little shaky a little shaky yeah yeah
1: but um but again it's jake roberts right i mean i'm glad he's
0: here exactly
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so uh up next we'll jump ahead to 2006 smackdown an era that I know very well, and we'll talk about a theme for Paul Birchall. Uh Burchill was originally brought in as William Regal's new protege, and then one week, Burchill goes, You know what? I'm actually a descendant of Blackbeard, so I want to be a pirate. And the next week, he became a pirate. Pirate Paul Burchill, with a theme song also by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 10. This is called Piracy. So uh, it's not hard to see what Jim Johnston was going for here. Uh, he basically watched Pirates of the Caribbean and said I'll just do that. <laughs> the cutlass sword scrape and the stinger, the strings, the brass section, the little xylophone in there too. The very boisterous and adventurous melody, you know, dun 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 dun, 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 dun. It sounds very much like the theme from Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's it's the most obvious choice of music in the world, of course, but but then again, when your gimmick is literally that you're a pirate, not a lot of room for experimentation, Chris, right? Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: So th- there was clearly not a lot of thought that went into the Pirate Paul virtual gimmick other than Vince, on a flight to somewhere, saw Pirates of the Caribbean, was like, oh, let's go ahead and do something like that. Johnston gets the memo he does a knockoff of pirates of the caribbean and like there's just it's it's a very uninspired amateurish theme it does your standard maritime three count but but da 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 yeah like th- that sort of maritime feel which is fine uh, the percussion stuff is vary by the numbers uh to by the numbers that that's sort of the tell that like johnston does not write in this sort of genre or really classical all that often and i just think all the voicings uh it, it, talking about icy but in the bad way i think all the voicings and all like the the patches used for the synthesizer strings and stuff just sound very they sounded bad then but they sound particularly flat as time goes on
1: yeah, all that's missing is like a cheap sound drop of the vocals from Kyrie Saints theme. You know, the yo ho, yo ho, ho, yo ho. Yes, like, yeah, that's all you need here, right?
0: Right, right. And I, CFO, I think probably did a better job doing the maritime thing. And even that theme's a little uh, over the top.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's not the deepest song in the world, um, but it's then not I a g- deep gimmick though. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Because that, that's the point. The gimmick is itself not that deep. The gimmick is basically just him dressing up as a knockoff Jack Sparrow with the bandana and the fancy jacket and the necklace and eyeliner and the puffy shirt. I don't want to be a pirate. Um, He had had the sword. And listen, I'll be honest. As a 13-year-old pre-Smart kid watching SmackDown at the time, I enjoyed this a lot. It was a fun little character while it lasted. I, I can't lie.
0: I mean, this along with a giant family of characters from this era of like quickly arrived at and departed from gimmicks. Very prevalent in this era.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I want to bring up the entrance too because I also love that where the music would hit. And do you remember how on like the old Ruthless Aggression Smackdown set, it had like this raised platform area to the side like where Rey Mysterio used to jump out with the pyro? Do you remember that at all?
0: I do not. So this is a period of time where I was not watching, not during our... Oh, uh,
1: okay then. Well, uh, that that's what it was. So um, the music would hit there for the entrance and you would see Paul Birchall on that platform holding a rope and he looked right into the camera and tilt his head back and give like a little jaunty pirate laugh and be like, yes, yes, I am indeed a pirate. And then he would like swing from the rope onto the ramp. And, and again, like as a kid... I dug the hell out of it. Okay. All right. I'm it was good. a good time. It was a good time for sure. Um, now, Paul Burchell he's one of those guys who was around like a decade before the UK indie boom. And for his era that he came up in, he was one of those guys who was pretty hyped up, I think. Um, unfortunately, he never really seemed to reach his full potential in his career. But what I remember him the most for, uh, besides this gimmick, obviously, was his finisher, uh, his finisher was a move called C4, which uh, was renamed Walking the Plank with the Pirate gimmick. It was a standing one-man Spanish fly. Now, nowadays, that's no big deal because Will Ospreay does it every single match. But he was doing this in, like, the mid-2000s, and he wasn't a cruiserweight either. He was, like, billed at, I think, six four, 250. And you can bet that when young Andrew saw him do this move... My mind was blown. Um, Of course, looked a bit awkward at times, but still, it was pretty cool to see him do this move in, like, what, 05, 06, or whatever.
0: Yeah, when I look back at some of the work style from the year 2000 through 2005, now with 2020 eyes, and I see so much of the stuff that people love in today's wrestling, I think that a little bit of it has been forgotten. How much of it got exported from 2000? There's a lot of great stuff in OVW in 2000, 2002, 2003. People doing really interesting, complex moves. Chronic, the WCW tag team. (laughs) They did a lot of really cool moves that you would see on an AEW show and ooh and ah at. Like, there's a lot... A lot of that stuff that's been lost in what we consider to be "quote unquote" the bad era of wrestling
1: wasn't um, wasn't Brian Adams doing an F five before Brock Lesnar ever did it? I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but that's the nature of wrestling nowadays. You know, nowadays there's just there's so much wrestling to consume, and so much wrestling to look back on in the archives that things will just get lost to time. And it's unfortunate,
0: but it happens. I mean, Chris Canyon's the ultimate example. Oh, right? yeah. Like, how how many moves have been lifted from Chris Canyon? And he's a guy who probably will never get his full credit for what he did for the business in terms of inspiring creativity.
1: Yeah, I mean, they called him the innovator of offense for a reason, you know? <laughs> he's doing all these fireman's carry moves and electric chair moves. Like, the guy was just such a, a creative guy who could figure out these cool moves week in and week out, and... Uh, Definitely an unsung hero, for sure.
0: Yeah, 23 years ago now. uh, You watch some of his moves, and they seem very fresh. So we'll leave the land of the WWE and go over to
1: New Japan. Uh, This gentleman, no longer wrestling. He retired last year. But his legacy will live on because his iron fingers of doom are currently in the hands of his former stablemate, Taichi. Of course, I'm talking about Takashi Izuka crazy bozu himself uh, iska the wild man of new japan his theme song off of njpw greatest music 2 this is yunosuke kitamura with against rules solid version <laughs> We mentioned earlier the subdued nature of Jake's theme, how it's very threatening without being really over the top and in your face about it. Uh, we cannot say the same for this one, I don't think, because from the jump, with that opening, the it reaches out to grab you, just like Iska would grab at people during his entrance when he was pushing his way through the crowd and grabbing at Nogami at the announce desk, and. You know, it maintains that manic style throughout the entire song, with the frenetic pace and that that dour rock riff underneath, the <laughs> and the vocals that are rather hostile sounding. This is not foreboding and sinister like Jake's theme is. It's just straight up, openly hostile and frenzied, which again sums up Takashi Iska quite well there, Chris. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Takashi Iska's theme reminds me a little bit of White Zombie. The the guitar parts have that chuggy, white zombie, maybe even a little Pantera too, heavy on the mids, real crunchy. Uh, it, it meshes really well with the drums, and I, I like some of the cool sampling and layering and stuff in the New Japan themes. Uh, I've always been very impressed by. their interesting compositions.
1: Yeah, they usually hit the mark more often than not, that's for sure. Um, and as far as this song goes, I mean, it's called Against Rules. Like, how much more on the nose can you get, right? And, and with Iska, you know, subtlety was never his strong suit. Like, he was never a very subtle guy to begin with, with the muzzle and the leash and rampaging around the ring and all the biting. Like, it's such a... A broad character, really the antithesis of a Jake Roberts. That anything other than a frenzied, chaotic song would not do, because Izka himself was a chaotic guy, from the second he came out to the second he left.
0: Oh yeah, classic wild man. Classic wild man.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, even the vocals are rather hard to nail down. You know, you can't really understand them all that well, which is a symptom of New Japan themes at large. I think uh, a lot of their songs, the vocals are hard to decipher. Um, I feel but, like but the vocals
0: ca- are just there to be a melodic layer in the mix and not necessarily there to be focused on. So it's it's not meant to be like a rock vocal where we'd want to hear it on the top. It's meant to just be an effect. Well, I don't think they're even in English
1: or Japanese. I, I think they're in Portuguese because um, one slide I looked at said this song samples vocals from a Portuguese rap rock band called Do Weasel. No connection to Polly Shore, by the way. Um, <laughs> but but I have not found another source to back that up and confirm this. But, no, um... I,
0: I, it did strike me as a sample. Like, I, when I was listening to it, I, I did hear... It, it sounds like they found a thing that lays over this other riff, and, and it does. It works really cool. It does a really neat thing. That's one of the... Great things about sampling um, and how you can use a melodic motif over interesting chord changes and get something really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and either way, it sounds quite aggressive, too. So, um. and, and the other vocal track is just that wailing, that... Uh, it, it sounds so tormented and so haunted. And Iska, a man who lost his mind many years ago, he's a rather tormented character. So him having a theme song that's just as mad and chaotic as tormented as him is rather appropriate there. So, well, our fourth theme takes us to 1996 WCW, a time of the Doomsday Cage Match, a time of the New World Order, and a time when blood runs cold. Yes, indeed, it's time to talk about Glacier, a character who is in in no way, Chris, a ripoff of Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat, right? No way in hell.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know how people then or now look back on this character or looked at this character with those fresh eyes and said, wow, this is... Something almost identical to Sub Zero, but in a, shall we say, watered down way.
1: <laughs> yeah, he just so happened to look and act very similar to him. So, you know, a, a total coincidence there, I guess. <laughs> okay, people are
0: born with those type of eyes all the time, Andrew. <laughs> i say you're familiar with a little man named David Bowie. <laughs>
1: That armor was crafted by his own hands, goddammit, his own hands.
0: <laughs> well, I like how they weaved in some of his own life, too, into the armor, where it was like body armor from when he was a cop that had been, like, molded. There was some weird stuff they used to say on commentary to put him over that's still in my head. Yeah, didn't he go over to, uh, where, to Asia to study the martial arts?
1: That's right, that's that right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, He studied over in Asia, all of it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Glacier certainly a fascinating character. Both in and out of the ring. Uh, we'll talk about the first Glacier theme, which he had for a few months after his debut. This is from the Nonstop Music Library, because WCW. It's by Thomas Hopkins, and it's called Killer Beat. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> so this is a staple of 90s culture, the jock jam, the, the high-energy, adrenaline-pumping, keyboard-heavy techno music that became very popular around this time. You know, the, the jock jams album came out the year before this and was pretty big. And what else came out the year before this that was also really big? The Mortal Kombat movie, which had a theme song that was in the same genre as this, And sort of became the de facto theme for the rest of the Mortal Kombat series going forward. And as I brought up before, you know, Glacier was, uh, shall we say, dipping into that Mortal Kombat world with the outfit and the martial arts and the mood lighting and all that stuff. And the music, too, of course. So Glacier, yeah, not the most original character in the world, but I don't necessarily blame WCW for trying to capitalize on some trends here, Chris.
0: No, I don't have a problem with this version of capitalizing on a trend. I actually think, to be honest, that this is more subtle than Pirate Paul Burchill. <laughs> so, you know, if we're, if we're doing a cop here, Glacier's more subtle. I, and the other thing about Glacier, yes, obviously we look back at the results and we laugh, is that they did build this up, this guy up for a long time, and they gave him serious support on the video game platform. He was an unlockable character. He was a really good character that people would play as regularly. So like he was someone who could capture a little bit of the imagination. WCW wasn't on the wrong track with this guy entirely. He was just, it was just maybe the wrong individual to cast in the role. And this theme song is an inferior version of what his theme song would ultimately end up being. But now to go to wind it back a little bit further, we got to think about the character here. Cold, icy dude. It's now the mid 90s. It's not the late 80s like when Jake Roberts and we're writing his theme song. We got the cold blooded reptile guy, keeping our Mortal Kombat theme here. We still got a cold dude. We got Glacier, Sub Zero. So since and that sort of thing makes sense, having music uh, along the lines of Romstein and du Host, which would be a hit a couple of few years later here, that icy, stabby synthesizer thing makes sense for this sort of ice character. And, and I do think that his theme gets better in the second pass. I, I think they get closer. I mean, yes, they continue to use knockoffs of the movie Mortal Kombat's theme song, uh, which, again, for Sub-Zero, makes some sense because that is a very icy, stabby, um, kind of moody music that makes sense for someone like Sub-Zero in a way that maybe wouldn't make sense for a character like, let's say, Baraka.
1: Right, right. And um, this was the same music that was used in the hype videos for him, the Blood Runs Cold videos. And, oh my God, you want to talk trendy. This is just like a a checklist of 90s goodness because you had the music you had the camera work which was these really quick cuts and epilepsy zo- inducing oh my god the crash zooms on parts of his gear and his eye with the sound effects you had the computer graphics there too with the symbols and the portals opening up and the snow the narrator it's a brave new world enter the realm and each of us burns the fury of a warrior blood runs cold like there's so of the time but again it was trendy And if I was a 12-year-old kid watching Nitro, and I saw these vignettes, and this guy looked like Sub-Zero doing martial arts, then yeah, I'd get hyped for it too, Chris.
0: Yeah, and WCW versus NWO World Tour drops late 96. And on there you have late 96, early 97, maybe? Maybe early 97, but no later than that. Um, and you have Glacier and Wrath, and they are two of the unlockable characters on there. So, like, no, it, dude, it totally got you pumped. Like, like this, yeah, he sucked. I mean, when they built Goldberg and they, you know, had him run through Glacier, it was over, over. But, uh, yeah, at the time, for that little boomlet, uh, he was an intriguing character that people were kind of, kids were kind of excited about. I'll put it that way. Not, Not maybe adults, but a kid who was playing a video game. Yeah, sure. Well, you bring up intriguing. I mean, that entrance, my goodness,
1: like the elaborateness of that entrance with the mood lighting and the lasers and the, the Kata performances and the armor and the snow and all that Some stuff. Some of it, it was
0: goofy, but, dude, I remember a couple of those they pulled off that were dope. Like, they were actually, like, legitimately cool. Um, and, and you'd never seen that level of production on an entrance.
1: Yeah, apparently it cost, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it every time, which, I mean, I, I can see why they probably got rid of some of that stuff over time, of course, but um, yeah,
0: how does it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to dry? I, like, I don't I've, know. I've heard that too, but I am thinking about this now. How they have strobe lights. They have fake snow. Uh, you have techno music. Like I'm, I'm not getting the six figures here. Look, it's
1: WCW, like, spending shitloads of money is kind of their thing. <laughs> I, no, I'm not
0: saying Hogan wasn't, like, finding a way to pocket 80 grand off of it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think the market says it was worth 100 grand.
1: I don't know, I'm just going off the stories I heard, you know, No, so... hey, I, I'm running with them, too. Yeah, well, well, here's the thing, you know, kids, they'll like this stuff, for sure. Adults, maybe not so much, and what what really hurt Glacier, I think, a lot was... You know, this was the summer, fall of 96 that he came about. What was going on in WCW at the same time? It was the rise of the NWO. And all of a sudden, the NWO becomes the coolest thing in wrestling.
0: That's probably the bigger thing that doomed Glacier, right? Like the fact that that you're rolling out this babyface character and he's really anachronistic to the heel faction that you're building up. Like it, it never was going to make narrative sense to have Glacier Be the savior of WCW. (laughs) Uh, So you're rolling about. Where does he fit in?
1: Well, just in terms of like what's becoming the hip new thing in wrestling, what's becoming the coolest thing in wrestling, it's no longer the larger-than-life fantastical characters or the spooky over-the-top characters. It's smart-ass dudes who do whatever they want and say whatever they want and just wear jeans and sunglasses and drink beer and cause all sorts of chaos. And, you know, an elaborate blue lighting entrance with snow and lasers isn't going to bring wrestling into a new boom period. It's a black t-shirt with a logo on it, you know, or or Goldberg just kicking dudes' asses. Same with, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWF, where realism and attitude is becoming this new wave in wrestling. And and characters like Glacier and Mortis and Wrath and all those guys, they're not going to be seen or put on the same level as the NWO.
0: No, no, they have to exist in this undercard space, but that also got into the problem with the NWO as a heel faction, especially as people like Kevin Nash, in particular, got into semi baby facing themselves. You have these heels who are cool, and then it's really hard to put a cool, an actually cool baby face up against them. I'm glad, sure even if, like, the NWO wasn't trying to be cool it would have been a weird pairing against it. But it made it hard for someone like Rey Mysterio, who is a babyface, a career babyface at this point, uh, who is definitively a cool guy, even if he's terrible at acting these days on WWE, but creating some of my favorite telenovelas of all time. Uh, but Rey Mysterio, 1996, definitively a cool guy. Juventus Guerrero, definitively a cool guy. Ultimo dragon. People thought he was cool with all the belts and stuff like no, that. I capture people's imagination, but how do you go up against the NWO when they can make fun of the fact that all these guys are wearing masks for whatever reason, or they can make fun of glacier being a ripoff from a video game. Like there was no baby face that was sufficiently cool enough to be juxtaposed against the NWO and you know, glacier was a fine example of we're building a baby face that makes no sense for the heels that we're building at the same time
1: yeah i mean you had like staying and ddp i mean they were pretty cool guys that's
0: where it needed to go but But, but the
1: problem was with the booking and the nwo and the fact that you know so few guys were able to get one over on them and even when they did the NWO was like right back on top soon afterwards. Well, so. with
0: Sting, you just never made him at Starcade that way. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. He, need, he needed to beat Hogan in, in a decisive way. and It didn't happen. But no, Sting, DDP, much more realistic. And to your point, also cool baby faces and baby faces with Edge. DGP would come out from the audience. And yeah, he had the bust up ribs, which made him a baby face. But he'd also like, you know, attack you backstage with a tire iron because you're the NWO. And you guys would do that to me. Um and we would be rooting for him because he was doing it while having his ribs taped. Sting comes down from the rafters, he's spooky ooky, he's like the crow. Um so to your point too. Glacier. Yeah, you could go, oh, okay, he's just a knockoff from a video game. People loved Crow Sting. And Crow Sting was the crow. That like that's all they did with him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's true. That's true. Um I guess it's not cut and dry, but um but then again, Sting had the seniority factor too, so kind of have to think about that as well but um but anyway uh the final theme of the episode here is from tna and it's for a legend in tna history the man the myth relic which is killer spelled backwards and uh relic which is killer spelled backwards was around in tna late 07 early 08 so around six months or so uh basically as the tag partner for black rain Justin Rhodes' alter ego there in TNA. And they were a fitting pair because, uh, like Black Rain, Relic, which is killer spelled backwards, was a rather spooky character. His theme is by, of course, Dale Oliver. This is Nightmare. This is, I'd say, the most traditionally spooky theme of the episode, with a lot of traditionally spooky elements involved here. You've got the bell, you've got the ticking clock, the deliberate pace, the sharp percussion, the dark choir on the keyboards, there's even the sound of the crickets in the background. It's proper classic spookiness. And, you know, I wouldn't call it the most exciting theme in the world. It is a bit, I think, basic and run of the mill, but. Uh, For someone like a Relic, which is Killer Spelled Backwards, he's a rather basic, spooky monster character. So I think the theme does match the level of the wrestler here, Chris.
0: Yeah, you seem a little more down on Relic's theme. Uh, And Relic, incidentally, just for the people listening at home, is, in fact, news to me here. Killer Spelled Backwards. It's a little bit of a a palindrome of sorts, or a half palindrome, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, But... I like I like the bell motif. And I think Dale Oliver is kind of underappreciated in terms of wrestling theme songs. He has some ones that are like stupid, you know, spoofy, WCW-ish knockoffs. But when he's making original stuff, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, the, so, like, the main motif here with the bell, um, it runs – it just keeps running this little arpeggio here, which is – And then he's going over like the uh, classic uh, chords here. So we got the uh, D minor, and then we've got the uh, B flat major here. And and it's just it's great though, cause like it sounds so nice and dark. Like, I, I think it's effective, um, especially and here's the important thing. Doesn't sound so good when it's just the piano, the bell choice, because of the way bells naturally have like cool, funky harmonics. And like so you, harmonics being like you have the note that the bell is actually pitched at. But then you also have all these weird resonant higher and lower notes that are happening to and bells have a lot of them. I just think it makes a really interesting motif. Um, is it simple? Sure. Uh is a wrestling theme song usually heard for much more than 35 to 45 seconds? No, so I don't think simple is bad. Um, I think that for you know a standard spooky character, this works fine.
1: Well, I didn't say it was a bad song per se. I just it doesn't really grab me as some of the other, I guess, quote unquote, dark TNA themes have grabbed me over the years. Like Abyss's theme, I love. Raven's theme, uh, the Disciples of the New Church, those themes to me are are a lot more memorable than this one. But this is not bad by any stretch. No, I'm not saying wrong. it's
0: classic. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Yeah, there. yeah, it, it's, it's fine. It, it's yeah.
1: fine for Relic, exactly. Yes, of course. Uh, um, which
0: is, by the way, killer spell bathroom.
1: Oh, of course, yes, of course. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget that at all.
0: <laughs> no, I just didn't want to leave that out there. I was worried about that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but But here's the thing. If we're making the movie comparison like we did with Jake... And if you look at the title of the song, it does lean more towards the Nightmare on Elm Street side of things. And Relic, which is killer spelled backwards, he actually did come out to the music from Nightmare on Elm Street in AAA in Mexico. Because it's AAA. They do that stuff there. And and, and Relic, which is killer spelled backwards, I wouldn't call him a Freddy Krueger ripoff exactly because a... There already was an actual Freddy Krueger ripoff in wrestling before with the mask and the hat and the sweater and so forth. Uh, Same with Leatherface, too. Um, And also, he didn't have Freddy's charisma or mannerisms or or knives. He was just a silent, hulking muscle monster. But, you know, Relic, which is killer spelled backwards, he had the red lighting. And Freddy had the same red motif as well. Uh, The face mask and face paint gave him a monstrous visage, like Freddy did. So maybe Dale Oliver kind of looked at this guy and wanted to go in the Nightmare on Elm Street route. Um, Not so much in terms of like, welcome to prime time, bitch, but more so the creepy red-tinged dude who stalks you in your nightmares. That kind of thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think the smart choice, though, that he made here was avoiding the 80s horror theme tropes. And I, like, that would have been a very, very easy pitfall to stumble into. And I think it's good that he didn't do that.
1: Mm. You know, I'm always fascinated by uh, the origins of Relic, which is killer spelled backwards. Because originally, he was on the Indies uh, and known as Red Rum, which is murder spelled backwards. And that character was based on him being in all Japan and portraying a fake heel version of the Great Muda, which you can definitely see if you look at Great Muda, you know, post-bald with the face paint and the mask on. He does look so much like Relic, which is killer spelled backwards. and then Muda real-
0: is Adam spelled backwards. That
1: is true. Yes, yes. Good good wordplay on your part there, Chris. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the real crazy thing is this guy originally was Johnny the Bull Stamboli. From the Mamelukes and the FBI. And it just it just goes to show you the wacky world of wrestling that a guy could go from, hey, forget about it, to Relic, which is killer spelled backwards. It's pretty amazing, Chris.
0: So I, I think that that's also a, a useful tip for mid-level wrestlers to kind of keep in mind here, which is, yes, character work does tear you in the middle of the card. However... When you want to reshuffle, if you have a very strong gimmick, you can go a completely different direction with your look and, and pivot out of it in a way that people won't even think about it. Like I, I how many times did people see Relic, which is of course killer spelled backwards, wrestle and go, Oh yeah, well, that's just Giant the Bull Stamp Bull. I, I I can't <laughs> I can't not see Johnny the Bull when this guy wrestles.
1: I mean, they look so different, you know? I mean, Johnny the Bull Stamboli, he had the hat, the leather pants, did the Robert De Niro face, and then that guy became Relic, which is killer spelled backwards, who's in this creepy face paint and this mask, and he shaved his head, and he's wearing this weird gear that B.B. Hulk wears in Dragon Gate nowadays. They look so different. And it just goes to show that, yeah, if you pivot hard enough and go from one distinct character to a completely opposite distinct character, you can change
0: your whole career, pretty much. You could have a really successful second career like that. Look at Rikishi. I mean, yeah, yeah he was successful in the Samoan SWAT team. Well, but not I, just I think... second
1: career, but like fifth and sixth careers because, you know, the amount of gimmicks that guy had. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah. But by, by, th- I'd argue by any measure, he was more successful as Rikishi. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. More so... popular, at least.
0: Yeah, I no, I, I mean, and, and and to that point, uh, too hot Scott Taylor and too sexy Brian Christopher make a massive pivot from the leopard print and like the whatever they were doing as you know, cruiserweights in the non-existent WWF cruiserweight division to doing the too cool gimmick. And, and that if you make a hard character change and lean into it, like it can be very successful. I mean, sometimes you end up as Barry Darso, but then to that point, Barry Darso was in Demolition. It wasn't like they were unsuccessful. in one Barry Darso, less so.
1: <laughs> perhaps. Yes, perhaps. Um, My
0: some measures.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Met. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you, Chris, for being here again. It's always a pleasure having you on. Um, hope I didn't scare you too much with these spooky themes here, of course.
0: Oh, God, it was a a terrifying, bone-chilling, (laughs) blood-purling experience here on Music of the Mat.
1: Yes, the horror show at Music of the Mat.
0: Uh, let me get my plugs in here. So uh, you can go and listen to my politics show, which is Don't Worry About the Government, over at Don'tWorry.TV on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Check out my Electoral College map preview if you're into politics. My other show on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, perhaps you've heard of it. It's called Shake Them Ropes. If you're not listening to it, you're hurting my feelings. So go and listen
1: to it. And uh, Music of the Met is, of course, also part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network, just like Shake Them Ropes is. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at MusicOfTheMet. Follow me on Twitter at AndrewTRich. You can discuss this and past episodes of the show at the VOW Discord. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate. And click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Chris, thank you again, and I'll see you around. See you around, Andrew. All right. For Chris Novembrino, I'm Andrew Rich. Have a safe and happy Halloween, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.